As we prepare to open God's word, let's pray and ask that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Eternal Father, who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, the incarnate word, we pray that you will open the mouth of your servant to proclaim that word in the power of the Spirit, and we pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to Zechariah chapter 1. We're finally finishing up the first chapter of Zechariah this, this evening, so we'll be doing the last several verses, verses 18 through 21. We'll be considering those as our sermon text. This is the second of Zechariah's series of uh, visions. We considered the first one last week, and uh, he has a series of eight visions in this, in this uh, second and, and uh, semi-lengthy section of the book of Zechariah. So we'll consider his second vision this evening, which we find recorded for us in uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Zechariah 1, beginning in verse 18, and reading to the end of the chapter. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Well, probably uh, many of you remember that uh, famous dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has in Daniel chapter 2. This is one of the most well-known uh, dreams, I would say, of, of the Bible, a, an image which is composed of gold and silver and bronze and uh, iron and clay, and these uh, represent successive empires. Uh, this dream, that this is how Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a rock hewn out with no human hand which comes and smashes this image. This is the kingdom of God which will, which will last forever, unlike the empires of this world. Well, uh, at the beginning of this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has his dream and he asks all of his wise men and interpreters of, in, in Babylon to explain this dream to him, and they're unable to do it. They, uh, they, um, they say, we can explain it, but he asks them to uh, tell him the dream first so they know they're giving him the proper explanation, and they say, we can't tell you what the dream was. Only Daniel is able to do it by the strength of the Lord. And when the Lord reveals the dream and its interpretation, this, uh, this dream that communicates that the kingdom of God is what will last forever, the kingdoms of this world are transient and passing, this is Daniel's response when he, when he hears that, uh, that dream and its interpretation. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
And that's really one of the main points of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is that the Lord is the one who removes kings and sets up kings. He is in control of all world history. He is sovereign over it. And as we come to this second vision in the book of Zechariah, as he's having this series of visions, um, he's reporting them to us in the year uh, 519, remember, in February of 519, um, I wonder if Zechariah may have responded in kind of a similar way as he had this second vision. Blessed be the Lord, the name of God, forever and ever. He is the one who removes kings and sets up kings. This vision is really expanding on those, uh, the first part of those comforting words that we considered in the first vision last week, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, where God said, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. So we, we thought there about God's jealousy and the implications of this and the fact that the nations are on the wrong side of God's jealousy, his zeal for his people, that he loves his people, and the nations who have, uh, who have oppressed them are on the wrong side of this jealousy. And that kind of begs the question then, as, as the Lord finishes out the, his words, his comforting words in that vision, what will the Lord do? We know, that, we know that, uh, that something is going to happen, that God will act as a result of this jealousy against the, against the nations and for his people. But we wonder, what will the Lord do? What, what is the implication of this? And this second vision really answers that question. What is God going to do because he is jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion? And what this second vision really, really communicates to, uh, to the people to whom Zechariah is ministering, those exiles, those returned exiles, and what it communicates to us is very simply that God will destroy, he will defeat all his enemies and the enemies of his people. That's what this second vision is about. He is the jealous avenger of his people. And this truth of the second vision is really made clear through three different characters or three different kind of sets of characters that we see in this vision. We see, first of all, the scattering horns is the first character we see in this vision. And secondly, we see the shattering craftsmen, the second group. And then finally, the third character we find in this vision is the sovereign Lord. So we'll consider this vision then in three points this evening, though considering uh, each of those characters in turn, the scattering craftsmen, the scattering horns, the shattering craftsmen, and the sovereign Lord. Those will be our three points for this evening. So first we'll consider the scattering horns. And in verse 18, Zechariah lifts up his eyes, we're told, and he sees. So this is the beginning of a new vision. He's probably, he's had his first vision, and uh, he probably... Uh, woke up long enough to write it down, to record what he saw. Now God, the Lord, gives him a second vision. He lifts up his eyes, and he sees four horns. And uh, you're probably confused when you initially read four horns. This is not exactly very descriptive, and especially to us, we don't know exactly what this is referring to. And Zechariah is also uh, not exactly sure what he's looking at. And so he asks, in verse 19, he's unsure, and he asks the interpreting angel, that angel that we find in many of the visions that explains uh, things to Zechariah, that explains various aspects of the visions. In verse 19, he asks Zechariah, what are these? Zechariah asks the angel what, what the horns are. And that angel, the angel who, uh, who speaks with him, 
the interpreting angel answers him, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then in the second half of this vision, so verses 20 and 21, we get even more detail about these horns from the Lord himself who gives, uh, who, who speaks to Zechariah in the second half. He says, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. They're horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So now we have a little more information that angel and the Lord have, have, uh, have given some more detail about, about what these horns are. They're scattering horns. And this scattering, this word that's used here, is really a reference to covenant curses. Uh, we've, we've seen this a lot already in the book of Zechariah, that, uh, that, that that's a, something that Zechariah and, and his prophecy is concerned with, is the covenant curses that came upon the fathers and that's, this word scattering is a reference to those curses, which really comes from Leviticus uh, chapter 26. Uh, the Lord said, says there, But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheathe the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. So this scattering comes from this covenant curse from Leviticus. The Lord, the image is kind of of throwing grain in the air and the wheat and the chaff blow away in the wind and the grain falls to the ground. So like that wheat and that chaff, Israel and Judah have been scattered as curses for, for breaking God's covenant. And the horns are those nations that enacted these covenant curses, that scattered Israel and Judah who made their land a desolation and a waste. Now, it's interesting here, the Zechariah, um, or the, uh, um, the interpreting angel, rather, mentions Jerusalem, Judah, and Israel, all of both uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so uh, both the nations, that the nation Assyria, that scattered the northern kingdom, and the nation Babylon, that scattered the southern kingdom, are in view here, both of those Nations are these horns that scattered God's people. And horns in the Bible, it's a common symbol, so we can now kind of, now that we know these are nations, we can kind of start putting the pieces together. And horns in Scripture are a symbol for power and for military might. And so this is what Zechariah is seeing here, the symbolism for power and for the might of a great military. And this symbolism comes from animal horns. Strong animals have Horns, bulls and wild oxen and rams have horns. And so this is where this symbolism comes from. Just to give one example, in Lamentations 2, as, uh, as the fall of Jerusalem is being, is being lamented, um, we read these words, The Lord has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. And that word might is literally the word horn there. So it's translated, of course, in English. That's the idea is might, but the word is horn there. So it's a, it, what Zechariah is seeing are these symbols of might and of military power, of, of, uh, of strong nations. Um, and he sees four of these horns. We see the number four many times in Zechariah's visions. And uh, what, we, what we find is that when Zechariah uses the number four, he's using it to refer to universality to something universal. He talks about the four winds of the earth, and here we have the four horns. So he's referring to all the military might of the world. Assyria once 
uh, was all the military might of the known world when, when Israel was, uh, was exiled. And then Babylon took over. They were all the military might of the known world. And now, during Zechariah's time, of course, it's Persia, which is all the military might of the known world, this, uh, this great, uh, these great and mighty horns, this universal power that, uh, that have scattered Israel and Judah. And they're the horns of the nations. This is now in the second half of the vision. This is calling us back to the first vision where, uh, where, that, uh, where those, the report of the riders was that the nations are at ease. The Lord said, I'm angry with the nations who are at ease. This is those same nations who overstepped their bounds, who furthered the disaster against God's people. The Lord had poured out his wrath, but these nations continued to oppress them, even though the Lord was no longer angry with his people. They furthered the disaster. And we see then, um, one of the last things we see about the horns here is the result of of the scattering by, uh, by the nations. The result was that so no one raised his head. This is just a a phrase that refers to independence, raising the head, right? Assyria and Babylon took away the independence of God's people, and Persia has not uh, given it back. Even though they've sent them back, they haven't restored that independence to them. They lifted up their horns in order to scatter Judah. They desired the downfall of God's people. They desired God's people to be oppressed, They desired their own glory, their own exaltation. They raised their own horn, in other words, just like we read in Psalm 75 about the wicked. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. So these horns are nations. They are the might, they're military might of the world set against the Lord and against his people. And really, most specifically, they probably refer to those three nations, Assyria and Babylon and Persia. So sort of we get get sort of an ominous opening to this vision, I think, of these horns that set themselves, all the might of the world coming against God and against his people. But just as Zechariah sees this ominous vision of the horns, the Lord shows him another cast of characters. The shattering craftsmen enter the scene. So that brings us then to our Second point, in verse 20, um, so coming now to, the, uh, to verse, yeah, verse 20 of the passage. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. So this craftsman is kind of a general word for artisans of all kinds. They can work with metal, with wood. These are people who would have tools, uh, is, is one way to think about it, people with tools. Um, and in verse 21, Zechariah again asks a question as these craftsmen come onto the scene, as they enter his field of vision. He asks this time, though, a kind of a different question than the one he's asked in the past. Right? The questions we've seen so far have been about, what are these? What, is, what, what, what are these things? This time, he doesn't ask that question. Maybe he knows what they are, or maybe that's not his main concern. But he asks, what are these coming to do? What is their purpose? What is their function of these craftsmen? And the Lord answers him, these craftsmen have come to terrify the horns, to cast down the horns of the nations. So the nations, these horns scattered God's people, and then four craftsmen come on the scene. Four because they're equal. They're equal to the task that they've been given to go up against these horns that have scattered God's people. They came to terrify or to rout them 
It's this word that has kind of a military connotation of routing and battle, of throwing the army, opposing army, into disorder and confusion. They've come to rout the horns, and they've come to cast them down, to throw them to the ground, to, make, to shatter them, in other words. They're shattering craftsmen. This is what they have come to do. This answers Zechariah's question. This is their function. This is their purpose. And probably the overall picture we get here is kind of a dehorning of an animal. The craftsmen come with their tools and they're able to dehorn this animal and throw the horn to the ground and shatter it. This is the picture of these craftsmen. Now, if the horns are Assyria and probably especially Assyria and Babylon and Persia, these nations that scattered God's people, then who are the craftsmen? Well, they're probably also a couple of these nations. They're probably Babylon, who, who overcame and uh, brought Assyria to its knees, and then Persia, who did the same thing to Babylon. These are also uh, the nations of the earth. Assyria scattered Israel and was defeated, and then Babylon scattered Judah and was itself defeated. This is, uh, these are the nations that have defeated, that God has used to defeat these other nations. Now, there's a few interesting things that we see with this second part of the vision in verses 20 and 21. Things that uh, kind of call our attention specifically to, uh, to reread it, to look at it very carefully. I think we see a few of these things that maybe should uh, pique our attention a little bit to this, um, to a couple things. So verse 20, the Lord showed me, Zechariah says, now, of course, all his visions, we, we know, are to be understood as from the Lord. The Lord is the one who's revealing these things to him. But he usually says, I saw, I lifted up my eyes and saw, right? He doesn't often say specifically, the Lord showed me. There's an emphasis here on the Lord's activity. And so we, we want to think about why, why does Zechariah put it this way here? Is there a particular reason I've already mentioned, right, the kind of different form that he puts his question in, not about what these are, but about what they've come to do. What is their function? What's their purpose? Right, different than the other questions. And then also with his question, right, he, he asks, what are they coming to do? They're coming. Zechariah, it's in the present. Zechariah sees these craftsmen as still having a task to carry out. They still have something to do, something to accomplish still. They have come. Right? We know Babylon defeated Assyria in the somewhat distant past for, for Zechariah, and then in the somewhat more recent past, Persia had defeated Babylon. But they're also coming. They have something still to accomplish, these craftsmen. And I think these clues, these kind of differences, are pointing us to look for and to find, hopefully in this vision, the ultimate actor, the one who's ultimately behind the activity of the horns and of the craftsmen in this vision. Because they're really instruments in the hands of the Lord. They're instruments in the hands of the one who governs and rules all things, our sovereign Lord. And so we'll, we come then to our third and final point, uh, considering the, the final character in this vision, the sovereign Lord. So why is it that Zechariah puts these things this way. Why say the Lord showed me instead of I just saw? Why say, uh, why say what are these coming to do? Why, uh, why ask what are they coming to do in the present, right? I think really these are emphasizing two truths for us, these kind of 
uh, hints in this vision, the, the different ways that Zechariah puts these things for us, really emphasizing two different truths that we should take away from this vision. And the first truth is that, uh, is that the Lord is the one. Zechariah's Lord and our Lord is the one who's behind all of these things. He's the one who removes kings and sets up kings. Right? There's an emphasis, as I said, that the Lord himself shows Zechariah the craftsmen. They're his instruments. They're, what they're doing is according to his will. Judah, of course, was a small nation. Israel, Israel and Judah were always relatively small nations compared to the ones around them, but especially after the exile, especially after the people had returned to the land of Judah. This was a small nation. And they wonder, as we often wonder ourselves, where do the people of God fit into this picture? Among all the mighty nations that are conquering one another, that are going to battle, that are able to stand up to one another, where do the people of God, this tiny outpost in, in uh, the outskirts of the Persian Empire, where do they fit into all of this action? And this vision is a reminder for these uh, Judeans, for these people, that their God, their Lord is the one who is setting up and removing these kings. He's the one who is behind this activity. He's the one who is behind this, who's the ultimate actor in all of this. And so it brings them comfort and encouragement. It tells them where the people of God fit, and it's their God who is turning all the, all the wheels of history himself. He is the one who is behind this. And it's a good reminder as well. This, this same truth is a good reminder for us today, isn't it? Now, of course, in some ways, we're in a different situation than Old Testament Israel. We don't have an earthly holy land like they did. But our Lord is the same. We serve the same God as they did, the same God who sets up and removes kings, who, uh, who is the ultimate actor behind all that happens, who is the sovereign Lord of history. And so, um, maybe especially recently, but uh, anytime, right, as often as we are worried about um, politics, about the state of our world, about uh, our government, about all of these things, we can take comfort in this truth that our Lord is the one who sets up and removes kings. We read in Romans 13, Paul reminds us of this fact, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, of course, we want to pray that our authorities will carry out their responsibilities, that they've been given by God well, that they will promote the good and restrain evil, that they'll promote justice in our land. But it should bring us some comfort as we recognize that their authority is from God, and it's only because, and as long as God allows them to be an authority, that they will remain where they are only as long as God permits. That's really the first truth that this vision reveals to us is that the Lord is behind all of this. And the second truth that this vision reveals to us about our sovereign Lord is that he is the jealous avenger of his people. This is really what this vision is about, right? He used Assyria as an instrument for scattering his people Israel, and they deserved to be scattered. They deserved to be blown away for their sin. But Assyria took pride in its own might. It raised its horn against God and against his people. And so the Lord destroyed them at the hands of the Babylonians. 
He punished them. He brought destruction on them, brought them to their knees. Babylon was the Lord's instrument in bringing Judah to exile and scattering the land of Judah, the people of Judah. And again, Judah deserved to be scattered, just like Israel. This was the Lord's instrument that he used. But again, they took pride in their own might. They lifted up, they raised their horn against the Lord and against his people. And the Lord destroyed them at the hands of the Persians. He brought them low. He humbled them. Assyria and Babylon oppressed God's people. They overstepped their bounds. They furthered the disaster that God had brought on his people. And they were defeated. And now, as Zechariah is preaching this sermon, the Persians are doing the same thing, oppressing God's people. Yes, they sent them back to their land. Yes, they offered to pay to rebuild their temple. But this was something that... Uh, Cyrus, the first king of Persia, did for several different nations. He says in his, uh, in his letter for the, um, for the Judeans to go back and rebuild the temple that Yahweh, God of, God of heaven, has, has commissioned me to do this. But we have another one where he, that he does the same thing for the Babylonians that he conquered. Marduk has commissioned me to do this. He was doing it for political reasons, not because he cared about God or about his people or about the worship of of the true God of Israel. This was, a, this was a political move on his part. He's not giving them their king back or their independence back. He doesn't care about the Lord and about his people. And Zechariah sees these craftsmen coming. This, this is kind of a, a, an indication from Zechariah in this vision that he sees. They're coming, that the Lord has acted He has acted before, used these nations to bring down these other nations, and he will act again. Again, bringing great encouragement to the Judeans, to God's people, that the Lord is jealous for them, that he has avenged his people in the past. He has brought low those nations that scattered them, that raised their horn against them, and he will again act on their behalf. He is the jealous avenger of his people. The Lord did indeed bring down Persia a couple hundred years later at the hands of Alexander the Great and the Greeks. He brought down the Greeks at the hands of the Romans. And uh, of course now we read about the Roman Empire in our history books and that's about the most influence that empire has on us anymore, their ancient history. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, we and the people of Israel need rescue and need deliverance from much greater enemies than the Assyrians, or the Babylonians, or the Persians, or the Greeks, or the Romans. We need deliverance from all the powers of sin, and Satan, and darkness, which wickedly lift up their horns against God and against his people, which make war against the living God. And the Lord, as our jealous avenger, has acted to deliver us from these enemies by sending his own Son to save us, to crush the head of the serpent, on our behalf. About five centuries after Zechariah prophesied, after his ministry, another Zechariah prophesied with these words in Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And our Lord Jesus Christ, that horn of salvation came, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So he made clear in that opening statement of his ministry in the Nazareth synagogue that a big part of his work would be delivering his people from their enemies, would be deliverance, would be, uh, would be defeating the enemies of his people. And many people thought, of course, including John the Baptist, whose uh, Zechariah was, of course, his father. Many people thought in those days that, uh, that Christ had come to deliver them from the Romans. But Christ instead came to deliver them from sin and from the power of Satan. His ministry, as we so providentially heard this morning, took, took uh, its form many times in terms of casting out demons, freeing people from those powers of darkness, healing people, bringing the powers of the new creation to bear on them, freeing his people from these, from these effects of sin and of the fall, and ultimately uh, defeating Satan himself in his death and in his resurrection. And so he is, and he, he was, and he is victorious over all the powers of darkness, over all of our enemies, everything that would oppress us, sin and Satan. We read that in Hebrews 2 and in Colossians 2, through death he's destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil, and that he's put all the rulers and authorities, all, the, all those who stand in opposition to God to shame, triumphing over them through his death and resurrection. He's put them to open shame. He's freed us from our bondage to sin and Satan, freed us to live lives which are glorifying to him. Just like he defeated Israel's enemies so that they could return to the true worship of God, to be the holy people as he had chosen them to be, to be God's holy people. That's the reason he's defeated our enemies for us, is that we might be God's holy people, that we might live lives which are glorifying to him. Truly, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The horns of the wicked, all the powers of sin and darkness have been cast down and shattered, but the horns of the righteous have been lifted up. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, thank you that you have raised up a horn of salvation for us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and have cast down the horns of the enemies of you and of your people. Thank you that you have always defeated the enemies of your people, and that you have done so in a decisive and ultimate way through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that he would return soon to consummate that victory which he has already won, and that until that day, we would live as those who have been set free from sin to serve you. Amen.